Welcome to the CoVenture Podcast. We sit down with leaders, experts, and innovators in Colorado's Roaring Fork Valley and beyond to explore how to build sustainable businesses and ecosystems in rural communities. From tactical solutions to new ways of thinking, we're here to find out what it looks like to succeed together. Thanks for joining us. This episode is part of our Resiliency series, created in partnership with Roaring Fork Leadership. Okay. Um, welcome to Roaring Fork Leadership's and CoVentures podcast series on workforce resiliency. A uh, little bit about RFL is we've been in the Valley for 34 years, and we are all about developing leaders who engage in their communities, in their work with their families, ultimately to be more effective and to solve challenges if it revolves around you know community challenges or social justice challenges such as health equity or um, transportation housing you know we want these skill sets to be out there so that we have a thriving community and with me today is jessica junker a native to glenwood springs um, and is a senior hr consultant with cura hr am i saying that right Correct. Cura HR, you got it right. Yeah. Um, which is a Colorado-based human resource consulting company. Jessica has over 20 years of comprehensive experience in strategic human resources and has worked at large organizations, even over in Vail as Vail's Re Resorts and Dish Network. She's a sixth generation Glenwood resident. Um, Jessica began her career working at her grandparents' local clothing store and understands how every organization is unique, obviously from small to large and rural to urban. Um, so I'm really happy to have you here with your level of expertise and perspectives when it comes to workforce resiliency and um, human resources. So thanks for joining me today. I am happy to be here. Jessica, one quick question before we jump into workforce resiliency. I don't even know what store what family store did your um <laughs> what uh my grandparents owned anderson's clothing down on ninth and grand in glenwood springs um later my aunt and uncle monica and gary miller owned it and uh they um retired somewhat before the bridge construction so um it's been closed for a few years now but they were there for decades yes i remember being in the store and upstairs always seemed like the hidden secrets of beautiful dresses and all yes that. yeah uh-huh. Yes. Um, having been here myself moving from Wisconsin for um I think since 1997. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. not quite as long, but um I'm glad I've had that connection to have had the experience of knowing who that store is and yeah. your family. So, you know, with um it's so interesting as we've heard if if you haven't, you know, Google it, it's kind of the great resignation or the great Quit, right, which has created a lot of heightened discussion around workforce resiliency, employee retention, um, you know, elevating pay because the cost of living per se right here in our valley and, you know, creating, I don't know if you want to call it some elements of equality and retain, you know, figuring out the things that help keep employees engaged, um, where the let's say if it's the economic impact, right, of the great resignation doesn't impact us as hard um, right. as it is. So, I mean, from your experience and what you're, what you know, like what are those top skills, you know, employers are looking for, for employees to bring to the table? 
today? Yeah, you know, it is interesting. And I think the the typical HR answer is it depends, right? It's sort of an internal joke within HR, but it does. It depends, you know, on the industry and the job, if you're looking for entry level or senior. Um, I think that what's dangerous is looking for just skills without looking at the bigger picture as an organization. Um, so I think back up a little and say, what's the right approach um, to, to make sure that we're hiring for the, I, I call them the right people in the right seats. Um, so are we really looking for um, this certain skill set uh, if we adjusted it a little bit or if we um, shifted some things around or some people around, what's the right uh, seat for that role and then defining what that person looks like. Um, at that point, it's aligning with the job skills. So it might be education, it might be previous experiences or um, certification. Um, there's there's a new, I shouldn't say new, but a trend that HR professionals are starting to push harder and harder and saying, you know, historically we've said uh, for example, a bachelor in five year, a bachelor's degree in five years of experience is required for this job. And we're starting to say, well, but is it really? You know, what if I've been doing this job for 20 years, but I don't have my bachelor's or I don't even have my diploma, high school diploma, but I know what I'm doing. So, you know, start um, questioning or relooking um, at some of those assumptions we've um, looked at before. Yeah. I think another piece really quick is also um, what your company's values are, what your culture is. So when you're asking what are the top skills you're looking for in hiring people, well, is your organization fast paced or is it steady? If you want, you know, if, if you're fast paced, you need somebody who's going to thrive in that type of environment. If you're kind of a steady eddy organization, you need to have um, people who are qualified and comfortable doing the, th way, the things the way that you do things. Yeah. Right. I mean, culture fit, in my opinion, is so important and yes. sometimes might be overlooked because if, if if you're just looking at a resume and this person has, you know, Office 365 and Salesforce and database, you know, mm -hmm. if, if that's what it, you're looking for, great. Yeah. You know, and I think in some, what I'm also hearing from some of the organizations RFL works for, um, you know, it's like, in some cases, we just need a body in a seat. So it's kind of right. like you forget, you know, that that culture fit or that environment fit or the values fit is important. And what probably is happening is those people aren't staying long, right? That's part right. of the cycle yeah. that we're seeing right now because of, I don't know if you want to call it desperation in some cases. Right right to keep a door open um because we're walking by restaurants and stores that doors are closed only because only because they do not have the staff mm -hmm. which has been tough it is tough so you know then let's flip it to think about why are people not working you know what are some of those trends that is maybe keeping people out of the workforce um you know there's a lot of articles out there if, if again you haven't googled it the great quit 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 right great quit or um the great resignation resignation. So I think I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. You know, Harvard Business Review just had an article about this in September. Um, and it was saying that employees between the ages of 30 and 45 um, have the greatest resignation rates. So it's not to say, you know, younger and older people aren't resigning as well, but that's just where they're seeing the biggest um, percentage. Um, there's some speculation. Um, the one that's most interesting that makes sense to me is that it's likely that employers um, are worried that employees with less experience 
experience um, might be riskier hires because they're not in an office setting and they might not have the ability um, or, or opportunity to be trained and have that guidance in person. So they're, they're trying to recruit this 30 to 45 year age set um, of people who um, have some of that experience and don't need that same kind of level of, of high touch, you know, in person perhaps. Um, there's also some theories that um, employees, uh, in, in my mind, it's regardless of which age group you're in, um, delayed resigning during the, the, especially the beginning part of that pandemic, pandemic because of the uncertainty. And now people are feeling it's safe to jump. Um, and also, you know, we all know it was a really rough, you know, year or two even. Um, and so a lot of people have reached a breaking point and they're done with the high workloads, the hiring freezes, other pressures, frozen pay. Um, and so they're, they're looking for, you know, the greener pastures. Yep. Yep. And in some cases there are greener pastures out there. And in some cases, you know, I would probably also, let's say if I was coaching a person in this seat, like call it burnout, um, yeah. I would probably be asking some specific questions of like, is the grass really greener? You know, like think of the culture you're in. And if you're have a offer considering another organization, do you feel you would be a good fit? Kind of those same questions you brought, you started out with. Cause you know, some people are thinking I'm going to jump for a dollar more an hour and then right. may not be the right. their top criteria for changing jobs is compensation. Yeah. So, again, right. It's, there's so much, so many different factors to think about, um, right. for employers to be thinking right. And how you retain and hire and vice versa for employees, what they can be doing. So you mentioned burnout. Um, what can employers or employees be doing to help, you know, the burnout elements that are happening that you just mentioned? Yeah, you know, I think one thing that I've noticed, I, I don't know how long that the phrase work-life balance was in effect, but, you know, a couple of decades at least, right? Yeah. And anymore, I, I think we need to stop talking about work-life balance. There's no line between work and life anymore. We're not going into the office and then nine to five, we come home and we do our family stuff. We're blending the two. So um, I think what employers and employees both can do is accept the fact that, you know, I might answer my phone while for work, while I'm picking up my kid from school. And I, I think what, what can be helpful, especially when it comes to retention and some of that communication is just talking about it. You know, if I, if I say to my boss, Hey, I need to pick up my kid at three 15. Um, you know, are, is that, is that a, an okay expectation if I am on a work call and you know what, some might say it's okay. Some might not. And it's more, it's, it's less about whether it's okay or not. It's more about setting those clear expectations and sticking with it and knowing what, what is okay. Um, and even from the beginning, I think even from day one, uh, even from the first interview, maybe, but I know things are changing often. So it's, it's just acknowledging maybe I've had an employee who's been here for five or 10 years, and it's still time to have that conversation because the world is changing. Yeah. I think the second tip that might help with burnout um, and help um, employees and employers be more resilient is to define your group norms. And I feel like that phrase sounds kind of corporate -y. but really what I mean is like, talk about what's okay in our work environment and what's not. Uh, if my boss emails me on a Saturday, is there an expectation that I reply? 
or not, you know, and I think, again, every organization is different. I'm not saying what's right or wrong. It it depends on your organization um, and what those expectations are. But just if I know, I'm not going to stress over over whether I need to respond or not. Uh, Another example on group norms, you know, do you do you need to start or should you start your meetings five minutes early so you can have water cooler talk or or maybe you start right on time and know that the real business meeting part starts six minutes in right or are you is the expectation are those group norms to just get right to business again it's about that communication so everybody knows and there's there's less concern about burnout of what's okay and what's not because everybody's on the same page yeah yep and i'm sure i mean i having worked for an organization that offered employee assistance programs, you know, I think there's a lot of those uh, type of programs and even just mental health resources. I know Aspen Strong has a mental floss quiz you can take on free one on their website. Right. Yeah. You even assess or gauge, you know, like how my mental well-being is. Um, so I think that's always something to keep in, in on the back burner also, or that employees are aware of these offerings that the employer has for them to support that well-being or if you're feeling at that place of burnout. Um, That's a great call out, yeah. What we can do. Um, in work, work-life balance, I have a friend, Nancy Frederick. She helps facilitate our w- women's mastermind program that's going to start in January for RFL. But uh, she she doesn't like that word balance either. She uses yeah. harmony. It's like, how do you I love that harmony, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I agree. There's Mm-hmm. No, especially for remote workers, you're working from home. There's, it blurs even further, in my opinion, versus if you're physically leaving a home to go to an office, you know, and coming sure. back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that harmony is just like, you know, maybe it's the question is like, is this working or is this not working and what needs yeah. to change, you know, versus that and understanding those norms and having those conversations. So you brought some really, really good points to the table. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, what can employees do or not, not do, but what can employees be doing to remain competitive in today's workforce? Because let's say there's those top jobs and maybe they're not, you know, maybe as available still and probably never will be, you know, like what, what's the competitive edge for employees today? You know, I, I think it is, uh, again, marrying marrying what you can bring to the table with what that organization is looking for. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about just trying to fill seats and being desperate. And I think it's having the nerve to say, I'm not going to just take whatever job comes out there. I want the right job. I want the right organization that fits for me. And I think we're going to start seeing that employers who don't um, stand out and provide what employees are looking for, um, are, are going to lose out on really good talent out there. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, also another change that we are seeing in our workforce is that there's four generations working under one roof per se, or in one environment or in one set of norms, Mm -hmm. um, in integrating those generations, you know, and of course, you can imagine the younger generations, and I'm making this up, I'm stereotyping, so this may not be true of everybody in this generation, but it's, you know, I, I don't want to work the full 40 hours, or I need more flexibility, or, you know, there's different demands, I think, that ultimately, let's say, if there's the baby boomer still in that um, work environment, who was, I show up to work on time, you know, it's minimum 40 hours a week and you go to the office, you know, again, it's just those different ways that have how we 
grown up or what we've seen or experienced that may cause conflict. So when you think about these generational differences, um, what would be your perspective of what you're seeing or hearing or how are employees or employers working through that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, you had just mentioned about employee assistance programs and so forth. I mean, it, it's, it's starting with asking the employees, what do you want? What do you need? And something that, um, you know, my, my parents might need is something different than I might need or my children might need. So um, I love the idea of using data and metrics. Um, so you can do that in a few ways. There's two I think I can call out that are, are fairly simple. Um, maybe not easy, but simple, right, is first turnover metrics or turnover data. Um, and second is a engagement surveys. Both of those help you to track trends. You know, are you losing most of your older workforce or are you using most of your, you know, younger workforce or, or both? And you can break that data down. Um, if you um, if you then use those engagement surveys or even exit interviews for that matter, I mean by then it's too late for that one person, but um, you can ask some more probing questions. You know, if, if you have more um, more people who are on the older side of the workforce, they might want a richer retirement plan, whereas a younger person might want college tuition paid off or maybe more PTO. So it's again, it's asking them. And instead of assuming things, because I, I have seen that where we we assume that, um, you know, someone who's in their 20s would love to have college tuition. Well, I had a client and, and they were going to go down that path. They did an engagement survey. It turned out they didn't care about that. They had a plan for paying off their tuition. They wanted more paid time off. They wanted more vacation. You know, so, okay, then you can um, pivot based on that. Um, and, uh, and I think um, getting used to using technology um, or risk people who, who thrive in it is another thing. I have um, lots of clients on both sides of that. Some who still use paper everything and others who don't ever, they don't even own pencils, right? Or pens because it's all electronic. And I think being able to put a foot in both sides of those and, and help accommodate and um, support workers who are have varying levels of technology, um, I think is helpful on that. Yeah, I agree. You know, another thing when I start to think about even just generational differences, right, then there's diversity, equity, inclusion, there's globalization, there's these remote workforces, right, there's just all of these, what, you know, 10 years ago, in some cases, this didn't exist, right, some of these right. things were not the hot topics, or they weren't as prevalent, um, yes. or made as much of a difference, right, in our communities. So uh, anything to, that you can think of, you know, that, again, is affecting, you know, our, well, if we think about how do we support workforce resiliency, you know, like, you know, what can employers, again, be doing or employees be thinking about when it comes to any of those areas? I mean, again, it's, it's, we're talking broadly here, but if it's, you know, I mean, oh, tech, let me just one example to provide additional context, you know, in the tech industry, I've worked with, um, or know of organizations social media, building websites, right, that they've outsourced and other, you know, employees, independent contractors in other countries for years. So in other words, they've had remote workforces for a long time. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, no, there's some industries that didn't allow and couldn't allow it, you know, um, and had to allow it once the pandemic hit. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think, again, there's different people on different scales, right? Some adjusting and adapting 
or already had pre-pandemic and now mm -hmm. some are still dealing with that. So again, here comes workforce resiliency and how do we, you know, even if it's in the Roaring Fork Valley or in our state, or I know you work um, with companies beyond Colorado. Yeah. What can we be thinking about? It, it, it's a, gosh, there's so many levels to that question. <laughs> I think, you know, um, I, I have a client I'm thinking of right now who pre-pandemic, did not believe in remote work, would not let his staff work remotely. And, and now he's saying, okay, I see the benefit. I see how we can still build relationships. It's just doing it a little differently. Um, on the flip side, another interesting um, outcome, we talked earlier about recruitment. You know, at, at my organization, we are 100% um, work from home workforce and we always have been since so, you know for the last 10 11 years since our inception and what's fascinating is before the pandemic we were able to use that as a recruitment tool to say look you come work at cura hr and you get to have all this flexibility and now it's like oh so does everyone else so yeah. that is a it's a it's an interesting thing and i mean all the more power to you know, giving more flexibility, but we, um, you know, lost one of our our edges. So it's forcing us and other organizations to say, well, what else do we offer? Right? It's more than just work remotely. You know, it's um, it's showing. It goes back to the culture that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, what what else is is great about working here? Um, I I think also. Working remotely, we all know it's different. Um, and we talked about setting norms, you know, so um, I actually moved um, away from the, the Denver Front Range um, in 1918, um, before the pandemic. And I was one of the first people on our team to move out of the Denver Metro area. Um, and so I had to say, hey guys, I'm feeling lonely over here. Can we turn on our videos? And it was sort of like pulling teeth, even with really friendly HR colleagues who I get along with well. And then we started doing it, the pandemic hit, and now it's just the norm. We always, always have our videos on all the time. Um, and not only that, but we have people in, oh gosh, four, five, six different states now in just the last that amount of time. So it's helped us to figure out how else to recruit and retain. Um, and I think our, our clients and other organizations can do that same thing. Look at it differently. What else can we do differently that sets ourselves um, apart? Yep. You know, I think re recruiting for employees is, from what I know, my even my own experience is RFL hired a, um, somebody to come in and do some additional work with us last December. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of, thinking, you know, like what, how would you normally recruit, you know, outside of a pandemic or pre-pandemic compared to how you recruit today? Could you speak to that a little bit mm -hmm. of the differences or the struggles or, yeah. that, you know, yes. you're seeing? Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there's two pieces to that. There's the hiring and the retention. Um, I think when you're hiring, be really clear about what your culture is, what those norms are, what the expectations of the job um, are. I, I was just talking to someone who said that um, a hiring manager at their organization was kind of inflating the starting salary. And then these people got through the interview process, found out what they're going to be paid and it was deflating, you know, so this hiring manager was trying to recruit them and trying to get them, you know, so it's it, just be honest, be honest about uh, 
does this job, will you have to work on Saturdays? Tell them that, tell people that. Cause if I, if I don't think I'm working Saturdays and I get in here and you're telling me I have to, then I might more likely turn over and go somewhere else than if I had known what I'm getting into um, uh, there. Same with uh, remote work. Is that okay? You know, are, are you okay as an employer hiring across state lines? I mentioned that. Um, I know that um, in some of our, our rural communities, it's you're, you don't have a pool of a million workers to pull from. So getting creative of, um, I, I always suggest you start with defining what the right seat is before you put the right person. But let's be honest, around here in small communities, sometimes you find the right person and you figure out what that seat could look like to, to get them. Um, one other tip, uh, um, someone in my, in my network um, in HR uh, had a partnership with a, um, a realtor and not, not an employee, just a realtor in the community he had a relationship with. Um, and he called her his relocation specialist. I'm using air quotes here. And so he would say, Hey, I want to recruit you in from out of state. Let me put you in touch with my relocation specialist. She can walk you through some of the difficulties of, of living here, but also some of the creative solutions, you know, living down Valley or looking at a condo instead of a you know, a house in Aspen or whatever. So um, there's some kind of creative ways that people are are doing that um, yeah. on the hiring side. The other side, you know, I, I, let's just go back again. I'm going to go back to my newspaper days when I was working there. It's like, you know, the classified department section was huge, right? It was yeah. multiple pages compared to, um, you know, how people have found different avenues, right? To sell items or you know, you've got more and more online um, on how, you know, Indeed and LinkedIn and um, I mean, there's tons of ZipRecruiter, right? There's all yeah. these, uh, avenues. But at the same time, um, you can put those ads out there. And I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine. They're like, you know, I've had an open position within the city, one of, the, one of our local cities, and I've had three applications in the last month, you know, and it's just, and, and they're qualified, and then it's cost of living, and even though you're paying yeah. a very nice compensation, it's still, you know, there's still questions about it. So, um, what are other, you know, maybe it's hiring a recruiter to fill that position for you, right? I think it's like starting to think employers might need to think differently instead of like, this is how we've always filled a position. We put an ad in the paper or we go online and, you know, post the job in these places. And then we wait for our application pool and then start the interview process. So it, thoughts on that? Um, <laughs> yes, I, I think um, you're right. It's tricky. Um, and it goes back to figuring out where are your candidates going to be looking, you know, start there, um, figuring out what, if you can't control your hiring rate, right, what you're going to pay them, what can you can control? Can you give them some more flexibility? Um, can you uh, speak to their values? Um, you know, do you have uh, different um things within your culture that would be attractive to certain groups of people. Um, and then, and then focus those recruitment efforts in those areas, um, electronically, or we all know, um, it's, it's about who, you know, right. Word of mouth and connections of, do you know anyone who might be a good fit for this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked about culture quite a bit, but, um, 
I mean, that is pretty important these days, you know, and I think if you go back to our generations, millennials, there's a big trend that they're only going to, not only, but a yeah. higher, they're going to wait what that company stands for, meaning like a corporate social responsibility. You know, I, we are behind this climate change and these are the efforts we do internally yeah. or even externally, you know, we donate or we volunteer for, or those sorts of things. So, um, you know, how important is that today? You know, and again, you think of those differences. I mean, again, we're talking about values and cultures, but any other tips that you might have mm -hmm. related to thinking of how do you attract, right? How do you attract people? Which don't get me wrong, in some cases, the company's CSR efforts might be that attraction. Yes, yes. And I think that you're nailing what is going to set the companies that thrive and the companies that wither um, by that. It's, 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 not that, it's not that you have to stand for something, again, with the air quotes. Right. Um, it's that you have to be honest about who you are and articulate that and make that visible in, in you know, your recruitment on your website, in your interview process, when they meet people, you know, um, I think um, thinking about, again, who do you want to attract to work with you? Um, and, and then sharing um, who you are and what you do will help attract those, um, those people. I think, you know, I was just thinking about um, some organizations think that they can't do this. I mean, I have, I have a, a client who um, is a, a nonprofit who helps other nonprofits, all right? What more, like, I don't know, empathetic, wonderful, like what, what standing for something, right? Organization, can you explain? And so then you turn and you say, well, how can a bank compete with that, right? Like you, th you think about Mary Poppins, right? <laughs> and like these, but then I, you know, I promise I don't work for Alpine Bank, but I'll name them, right? You yeah. see them everywhere. They have volunteers, they support things, they sponsor things, their logo is on everything integral to the community. And, and so it's, it's not about what you do, it's how you do it and how you portray your organization. Um, and then again, going back to like selling that, and I don't mean that in a slimy way, it's more of just how do you share? This is what we're about. Here's what's so great about working here. Um, and, and being able to articulate, even if it's not tied to money or vacation, it's about how you feel when you work there and how you make people feel. Mm -hmm. Well, I think about the changes of my perception of what was important to me about working for an organization over the years, you know, I, when I was young out of college, there was probably a lot more competition and eagerness and wanting to climb the corporate ladder for that matter. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're married, you have kids and what, you know, along the line, life changes and priorities shift. And, you know, I can't say money is the number one on my list anymore. You know, it's more of like, I want to be purposeful and fulfilled and, you know, have, have um, harmony, you know, some yes. ability um, to be able to do every, you know, to, to not even balance it, but just to do all the things that I love to do. So there's a lot to think about today. And I, I think you kind of nailed it. It's like being very, um, pointed, um, thoughtful, right. Of how you hire and retain is going to support that workforce resiliency. And even like the offerings, you know, the, if it's remote workforce or it's EAP programs or it's paid yeah. time off or it's, mm -hmm. and that's not, it's not a one size fit all anymore. Right. It's more complex, right. There's a lot more complexity. It is. Hence it there's is. 
Cura HR, right? <laughs> organizations like yourself that come into play that can support organizations navigating a lot of that. Um, you want to share a little bit about um, the services or offerings that Cura has as a resource? Yeah. I would love to. Yeah, we are we are a Denver-based um, HR consulting company, but as I mentioned, we're all across the nation these days, um, and we support different clients on either what we call HR outsourcing, where we act as HR for some smaller organizations who aren't ready to hire an internal HR person. We also do project work. So, you know, um, I mentioned engagement surveys, right? We, we can come in and, and help an organization get set up and do an engagement survey or help with building their vision. Um, and, and then we, we are, I think, really good at helping tee up our clients so that they can take the next steps, you know, if they choose to on, okay, what do I do next? What can I do um, internally myself? And, and where does it make sense to partner with either internal resources or, you know, external consultants? Yeah. And of course, I mean, if you want to learn more about Cura, the website is Cura, C-U-R-A-H-R.com. You got um, it. Yeah. So, or even you want to throw out a phone number, Jessica? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yes. Um, I, my actually number is uh, 303-359-6138. And again, it's Jessica Junker. I'm happy to talk to anybody who might have any, any questions on, um, you know, what to do next here. Yep. I mean, it, it, I mean, in, in our environment, you know, there's a book, Thank You for Being Late by Thomas Friedman. It came out a handful of years ago, and he talks about globalization, the fast-pacedness of the world, you know, and it's not slowing down. And it's like, how do we continue to, you know, so human capacity is not stating, seeing the pace as the, you know, fastness of the world. So, of course, we mm -hmm. think about these skills, like what should employees um, or workers be doing. And of course, you know, that maybe that's driven by passion or, um, you know, an education that they had. And of course, there's a lot of resources in our community, um, you know, CMC, RFL, SBDC, CoVenture, right, to gain some of these skills and certifications to like continue upskilling and remaining relevant in the work you're doing so that you, you know, you're even per se um, can, can stay retained with your employee because you're offering them what they need, right, mm -hmm. to successful. Um, so Jessica, thank you so much for this conversation. I think yeah. uh, there's a lot of tips in here for people to be thinking about in this yeah, current yeah. environment and, um, you know, and to keep pace. So again, consultants like Jessica can help, you know, understand those trends. Um, and of course, CoVenture has a lot of additional resources along with RFL. So thank you all listeners for listening to this podcast on workforce resiliency brought to you by Roaring Fork Leadership and CoVenture. And um, everybody have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. CoVenture is a nonprofit based in Carbondale, Colorado. We're on a mission to empower rural communities to build sustainable businesses and ecosystems through tactical solutions and engagement. Find us online at coventure.io. Please contact us if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities.